In America, at the beginning of each year, the current president delivers a State of the Union speech to a joint session of Congress. In front of members of the Senate and the House of Representatives, the president reports on the nation, what the administration has achieved over the past year, the health of the economy, and the future goals and legislative proposals. And as we begin a new year together within the Star Wars fandom, I wanted to address some of the topics that may be of importance to fans and collectors. For the collectibles market, last year was really a story in two parts. The first half was a sonic boom, topping interest in prices from the previous year's highs. And then, over the next six months, that momentum fizzled out. So what is the state of the Star Wars collector's market now? The recent Morphe auction put Star Wars collectibles back into the spotlight after a bit of a lull. And upon seeing the results, prices have jumped again on the various sales platforms and in some of the groups. But let's not be distracted by one auction. Let's think long-term. Are these prices sustainable? Is there truly a consistent buying audience where these values are reflective of a wider market? The truth is, none of us truly know. But I wanted to reflect on some questions that you and I may have going into the year. After all, toy show season is about to begin. The large auction houses, propelled by strong showings over the past few years, will send out their catalogs soon to hype up their Star Wars offerings. In the spring, Star Wars Celebration London will not only provide a place for collectors to shop and hunt, but the convention is known for giving us peeks at the future of the franchise on the small screen and beyond. And Disney has a lineup of new stories to share with us. The slate began with January's release of Season 2 of The Bad Batch and includes another season of the fan-favorite series The Mandalorian and the premiere of the first live-action Ahsoka show. As Star Wars fans and collectors, we have so much to look forward to this year. So let's explore the state of the fandom, the state of collecting, to figure out just where we may be heading as a hobby. This is my assessment of some of the topics relevant to our community. This is the state of Star Wars and collecting. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. quite a bit to cover, so I don't want to waste any time. I've made a list of topics I felt were worth discussing, and the main questions I had concerning them. I don't claim to have any definitive answers, 
I want to look at where we've been as a community and where we may be heading. And I'm using my experiences in the hobby and my understanding of it to try to reach logical conclusions. If you don't mind, before we begin, could you make sure you've subscribed or follow the podcast? I have some really fun ideas for episodes, and I want to make sure you don't miss them. And a very sincere request, if you could leave a review and help me get the word out about it, I'd greatly appreciate it. Okay, having said that, let's sit here. I've poured each of us a glass of Tatooine's finest, blue milk, and let's talk Star Wars and collecting. It's February's Morphe Auction, an accurate indicator of the Star Wars market. This is the question that propelled me to create this episode. After covering the auction in the previous series, I questioned whether the realized prices indicated a resurgence in both interests and in values of vintage Star Wars items. The truth is, interest in Star Wars figures never disappeared fully, and the values didn't drop severely people were still buying and collecting Star Wars items. But the general audience of those actually spending money had shrunk considerably. Here's a quick synopsis of the Star Wars memorabilia market. At the beginning of the pandemic, many collectors, including myself, believed that collectibles would take a back seat to more important things, like securing food and sanitizer. And for some unknown reason, toilet paper. But with the quarantine came a surging interest in collectibles, and Star Wars items became white-hot again. This upward trajectory continued for two years, until the summer of 2022. At that point, a number of factors triggered a sudden slowdown. Whether it was a downturn in the economy, collectors being priced out of the hobby, or the fatigue that comes from a non-stop collecting binge, it was a jarring shift. In June, a rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype broke a public record at Hakes, selling for more than $230,000. And the next one sold at Hakes a month later, this time for $100,000 less. For those who frequented toy shows and spent time on the Facebook collecting groups, there were hints that the ride of the past two years was ending. There were fewer people purchasing pieces. Figures sat unsold on eBay and in social media posts for longer periods of time, and sellers began to discount prices more quickly than in the past. As travel opened up, vacations took the place of acquisitions. Some who enjoyed playing the Star Wars market like the stock market grew bored of it once the initial rush finally wore off, or as sales declined. The hobby, as it is inclined to do, took a breather. The larger Star Wars auctions underperformed from that point forward. Dealers struggled at toy shows for the remainder of the year. After seeing major corrections in the trading card and comic markets, many figured Star Wars was due for one as well. But February's Morphe auction told a completely different story. The auction featured a collection of 450 carded Kenner figures. If you'd like to learn more about it, check out episodes 111, 119, and 120. 
But for the purpose of this segment, basically the ungraded carded figures sold for more money than the ones that were previously graded. Most pulled in high prices, and that was before the 20% buyer's premium. If this auction is an accurate indicator of the state of the Star Wars collector's market in 2023, then we could be seeing new peaks in prices for vintage figures. But is the Morphe auction an accurate indicator? As of now, I would argue that it is more of an outlier than the norm. Morphe's offering was pretty unique in that the quantity and quality were there. Most general collectors have traditionally spent more on graded figures because they want to take the guesswork out of what they're buying. They want someone with more experience to tell them the condition of the item. And with grading, it often eases the concerns of authenticity. But none of the 450 carded figures from the Morphe auction were graded, and yet many sold for more money than comparable graded examples. But why? I've come up with a few scenarios that could have caused these prices. First, after three months of hype and promotion, people may have simply gotten caught up in the excitement and overbid. It happens all the time. Or based on the perceived condition of the figures, bidders spent prices associated with items graded at an 85 or a 90, when in reality, the figures may never reach those kinds of grades. But the chance of hitting on a 90 could drive people to spend more than they should. Collectors overspending on Star Wars purchases is certainly nothing new. It happens all the time. So let's look at a few other factors that could have led to the surprising prices in the Morphe auction. There were a vast number of resellers interested in the carded figures as well. Going into the auction, I think some expected to buy some at lower prices since they were ungraded, especially the ones in the group lots. And then they would have the figures graded themselves and could reap a premium if the items graded high and were sold in groups or in spotlight-grabbing auctions. Some dealers purchase these figures to play the long game with them, basically to overpay a little now and hold on to them for a while, sometimes years, to then sell them once they've appreciated in value. For those who have the money to do so on an item like a carded Boba Fett or a double-telescoping Luke, it's certainly a gamble, but the payoff could be multiples of the original cost. And from a collector's viewpoint, I know a number of our friends who targeted certain cardbacks that are rarer than others. Fewer collectors focus on the difference between a 20-back and a 21-back figure, and even fewer understand the market when it comes to differences between a 21A and a 21B. But those who hunt the cardbacks and subbacks love to dive into an auction like this, and they will overspend if they have to, in order to lock down an elusive carded example. Finally, and I haven't heard anyone talk about this yet, I think there is a sense of something I'll call recent nostalgia happening within our collecting community. What do I mean by recent nostalgia? I think collecting can be a nostalgic bridge, a way to connect with our favorite moments from the past. And for many of us, the magic of our childhoods is rooted in the Star Wars films and figures. And recent nostalgia is a longing for a time not too far removed from the present, which has recently passed. The last two years have been really exciting for collectors. It's been a non-stop dopamine rush of hunting for pieces and picking up vintage and modern items. We also get a charge from new Hasbro announcements, 
trailers and episode drops from the Disney Plus series, and moments at shows and conventions. But collecting during the pandemic ramped up, almost like never before. Hundreds and thousands of Star Wars collectibles changed hands on a daily basis. It was a buying and selling frenzy, probably like nothing we've ever experienced. For those who became collectors during the pandemic or were actively involved, it was certainly a wild ride. And then the ride slowed down for quite a while. It hasn't been the same since. And while that may actually be a very good thing, I think a type of recent nostalgia has kicked in for some who are looking for that excitement again. And I think the Morphe auction sent a signal that the roaring 2020s are back for Star Wars collectors. But that may be a false signal. And it may be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Collectors see the final hammer prices from Morphe and start scooping up pieces before prices go up further. That begins a chain reaction. If the prices stay high for the next few weeks or months, this may cause some collectors who regretted missing out on the peak prices of last year to sell off their vintage figure collections at the larger auctions. And so we may see the higher quality items that draw in high dollar values for sale at these auctions that command record prices. Collectors will see more results from the auction houses, and thinking the trend is here to stay, they'll spend more on items, they'll keep buying, and the cycle will continue. But more than likely, and as I mentioned before, the Morphe results may equate to being a false signal. I hate to compare something like beloved action figures to stocks, but think of it this way. A stock only retains its current value if investors are willing to continue buying it at that price. And with so many outside forces affecting our finances and how we spend, I just can't see the market maintaining the Morphe levels. Because I think we're going to see even more Star Wars-themed auctions over the coming year. And I don't know if there are enough collectors that can or will buy Star Wars memorabilia at those prices. It's going to take an entirely new audience to keep this momentum going. Maybe it means a new series of deep-pocketed investors looking to shift some of their funds into collectibles. Or maybe it will be a wave of collectors who are entering the hobby in 2023. But the good news is that the Star Wars market is whatever it decides it wants to be. There are thousands and thousands of figures for sale on multiple platforms. The prices will rise and fall over time like it has for decades. And this Morphe auction may be the indicator of how the year will pan out. But most likely, it is a unique crossroads of quality items becoming available at one time and before any other auctions after a quiet winter. And that is a difficult formula to repeat with any consistent success. And honestly, you and I both know that there are so many more rewarding aspects to Star Wars and collecting than acquiring figures or selling others. I always preach patience when it comes to hunting for items for our respective collections. And I would recommend extending the same patience toward waiting to see if the Morphe auction is merely a blip in the history of Star Wars collecting, or if it is the start of a long-term trend for 2023. What is your take on it?
Could this year's Star Wars content be a letdown? I think this is a very important topic to consider, especially from a collecting perspective. Vintage Star Wars figures and memorabilia will continue to be desirable, and that is largely due to collectors' emotional connections to the original trilogy era and growing up with the toys. However, one of the factors in continuing that momentum is interest in the franchise's relevance. And that relevance is largely based on the new Star Wars content released each year. The stories found in the films, series, books, comics, and video games not only stoke the excitement of longtime fans, but introduced Lucas's galaxy to a new generation. But a franchise stays relevant only if we find the stories worth our time, if the characters resonate with us, and if we choose to join them on their adventures. This year, Disney's Star Wars slate surely will capture the attention of fans all around the world. We are merely weeks away from the Season 3 premiere of The Mandalorian. The video game Star Wars Jedi Survivor, the sequel to 2019's Fallen Order, will be released this spring. And the live-action Ahsoka show, helmed by Dave Filoni, is set to debut before the end of the year. These are just three of the highly anticipated releases awaiting Star Wars fans. The Mandalorian, introduced in 2019 as the Skywalker film saga came to an end, really saved the franchise. People from all over the world know and love Grogu, the baby Yoda-like character that accompanies the Mandalorian on his journey from planet to planet. And the little green guy has become a billion-dollar property in the 21st century. Season 1 of The Mandalorian blew away any expectations Disney had for the series. There was a charm to the series, and audiences heartily embraced new characters like Din Djarin, Grief Karga, and Cara Dune. The show was a perfect blend of a fresh story in a familiar world. The second season was a leveling up, as Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni brought back many fan favorites to the episodes. After seeing the iconic Darksaber in live action, we were reunited with former leader of Mandalore, Bo-Katan, and former Jedi Padawan, Ahsoka Tano. But the biggest surprise came from the return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker, in the season finale. Regardless of who appeared in each episode, The Mandalorian has always been about the relationship between Din Djarin and Grogu. The additional characters added to the immensity of the season, and only further sparked fans' love for Star Wars. And after a two-year hiatus, Season 3 of The Mandalorian is finally upon us. But what if it is a letdown? I had wondered why the showrunners for The Book of Boba Fett decided to wedge two Mandalorian episodes into the series. One rumor was that the writers for The Mandalorian had written themselves into a corner at the end of Season 2, and used the Book of Boba Fett episodes to correct that. Another rumor has been that Disney did not want to leave Din and Grogu separated, and have Din go through part or all of Season 3 on his own. After all, Grogu is the moneymaker when it comes to Star Wars. And I wonder if the showrunners had a plan for this season that was a little darker, focusing more on the battle for Mandalore. And if Disney disrupted it with demands for Grogu to remain at center stage and for the tone to be lighter for a general audience. Now, I do not think Favreau, Filoni, and the rest of the team will let us down with a bad season of The Mandalorian. 
but I think we all expect it to be phenomenal. Just like we all expected a show about Boba Fett or Obi-Wan Kenobi to be an instant classic. And they weren't. At best, they were mediocre productions with structural issues and pinched budgets. They were missteps that turned off a number of fans. I personally believe that the solid storytelling and award-worthy performances in Andor saved the year for Lucasfilm. But if anything, the stumble from some of the shows proved that seasons 1 and 2 of The Mandalorian would be a hard standard to keep up on a consistent basis. I'm not saying I think season 3 will be bad. And I don't think Ahsoka or the new Jedi Survivor game will be a letdown either. But any of the three could be. Or worse, all of them could be disappointing to a fan base whose standard expectation is the magic of the original trilogy films. The Star Wars brand is always centered around a film or trilogy release. The times in between, known as the Dark Times, is where the franchise's relevancy dipped. And while the series have taken the place of films as event viewings, it feels like those massive anchors are missing from the fandom. The larger-than-life moments in which we sit in a theater together and experience a new story for the first time isn't there. Right now, we have a lot to look forward to as fans. And over the past few years, interest in Star Wars collectibles reached peaks we never expected. The series have replaced the films for now. They keep us watching and discussing week to week, and then anticipating the next season over the course of a year or more. But if this year's slate of Star Wars content does not deliver, and without a film announcement in sight, fatigue may finally set in among fans. And it might have a larger ripple effect on the collectibles. How will Hasbro's performance affect Star Wars and collecting? On January 26th, Hasbro announced it would lay off 1,000 employees, which would amount to 15% of its global workforce. According to the CEO, the cuts will help keep Hasbro competitive and will eliminate $300 million in expenses by 2025. While the company's digital gaming segment was up 22% year-over-year, fourth-quarter toy sales dipped as much as 17%. Ahead of Hasbro's earnings call this week, Yahoo Finance's Julie Hyman and Brian Sazi discussed the issues within the toy industry. For the segment, Sazi spoke with James Zahn, the editor-in-chief at Toybook. Zahn pointed to Hasbro's removal of plastic packaging for lines like the Star Wars Black Series figures, in which consumers can no longer see the actual toys they are purchasing. And add to that the hefty price increase for 6-inch figures, originally retailing for $19.99, which are now selling for $25 to $30 each. 
As fewer parents and collectors are purchasing them, Zahn says, the inventory is piling up. This high level of stagnant inventory, coupled with the inflated prices and stumbling economy, equates to sales for toys falling off a cliff. The buying boom over the past two years, in which every pre-order Hasbro released would sell out immediately and it was nearly impossible to find a Star Wars figure on shelves, is over. Last week, Hasbro announced that it would be ending its endless parade of pre-orders. During the pandemic, the company began taking orders for basic action figures, ones that wouldn't arrive for months. And some would take as long as a year to reach collectors. Instead, a figure release will only become available once it is in stock online, with a suitable segment landing at retail outlets across the country. This sounds like a case of a toy company finally listening to its consumers. But I believe the switch from pre-orders to in-stock orders is only happening because it is affecting Hasbro directly and financially. If you're a collector, you know you're never more excited for a figure release than on the first day it's announced. Hasbro knows that too, and for years, they took advantage of that. With a surge in both supply chain issues and in collector demand, Hasbro capitalized on the scoop-up-everything-in-sight craze by issuing pre-orders. And so the new shiny figures would be announced, fans would purchase whatever they could, buying full cases when possible and would have to wait a long time to finally see them. And if you're a collector, you know that one of the things many of us lack is patience. I can't tell you how many friends I've spoken with over the past year who were surprised to see something they ordered in 2021 suddenly arrive at their doorstep eight months later. And if they received a notification in advance that their order was ready, many of them admittedly canceled the order. At the time of the announcement, The pre-order was exciting. But after a few months of it being largely forgotten, as new figures were announced as new pre-orders dropped, the older figures would become less desirable. It is possible that pre-orders helped Hasbro to figure out how many figures to make of a character. But with wait times far exceeding what even a patient person would deem irresponsible, more and more orders were canceled. And as the collecting frenzy died down in the second half of the year, fewer figures were likely ordered, and the ones that were already queued up were canceled as well. The disconnect between when Hasbro would announce an item and when collectors would receive it resulted in frustration on the parts of consumers. And that frustration soon turned into apathy, as collectors became less and less interested in pursuing Star Wars figures. So what does this all mean for Hasbro Star Wars toys and collecting in the coming year? With Hasbro's new plan in place for figure releases, the company explained when collectors will see the latest waves, which were revealed at the beginning of February. Each item is given a general estimate, like spring of 2023 or summer of 2023, with one figure coming in spring of 2024. But overall, expect there to be less interest in the Black Series and possibly the Vintage Collection. Again, there may be some difficulty in finding certain characters at retail or acquiring them online. But at the inflated prices, fewer people may chase them, especially if the health of the economy declines. We may see a dip in reseller interest as well. After all, if the price to purchase a figure has risen and people are not willing to spend much over the retail price, there is less incentive to flip them. 
Hopefully, this will lead to more figures being available at stores, where collectors can purchase them, making impulse buys that come from finding a beloved character on a toy shelf. What about Star Wars prototypes? The prototype world is fascinating, and in order to examine it, we first have to split it into two distinct sections, vintage Kenner prototypes and modern Hasbro ones. So let's look briefly at each segment. Vintage Star Wars prototypes may have reached peak interest with a general collecting audience during the time of The Force Awakens. In 2015, nostalgia hit the fandom in a powerful way, with many reconnecting with the toys they loved as children, as the original trilogy heroes returned to the Star Wars universe for the first time in decades. And the interest went beyond the toys seen at retail outlets all over the world. The lore of owning a prototype used in the creation of the figure, a significant part of that character's history, was strong enough to attract new collectors toward pre-production items. The prices for the lowest tier and most common prototypes soared. Collectors were grabbing anything they could find, and were happily willing to overpay. This lasted a short time, and by The Last Jedi's premiere, the wider audience for Kenner prototypes had disappeared. However, a smaller but hardcore contingent of prototype collectors has existed for decades. They are willing to either trade one-of-a-kind pieces or spend tens of thousands of dollars to get rare vintage first shots, proof cards, hard copies, chromalins, and other pre-production pieces. That's a group that largely does deals in private. We never see most of the good pre-production pieces that trade hands. But there are exceptions. Some incredible vintage prototypes have shown up at some of the bigger collector trips, like the Cincinnati Toy Show Weekend, or at Star Wars Celebration during the highly anticipated room sales events. But serious interest in prototypes is still relatively small. In recent years, they've lagged behind the carded and loose figures. And this was evident throughout the Hakes auctions of 2022, where prototypes often underperformed according to their estimates. But there were two notable items that consistently sold well at Hakes. Collectors and bidders seemed to gravitate toward the rocket-firing Boba Fetts, which have risen exponentially over the past decade. And proof cards, especially the ones featuring the Revenge of the Jedi logo instead of Return of the Jedi, have been popular among casual collectors. They are both iconic pieces and are almost instantly recognizable as something special, which makes them even more desirable. But overall, a wider interest in vintage Kenner prototypes has declined. And that goes for modern Hasbro prototypes as well. The modern Star Wars prototype market appears to have peaked in 2020. I was surprised to see interest diminish over the past two years, as I expected the newer stories and characters to attract a much wider audience. And for a while, it appeared that those who missed out on obtaining vintage prototypes in the 1990s and early 2000s would not make the same mistake with the ones from the modern era. Until 2019, the majority of modern prototypes were fairly cheap. 
Hard copies routinely sold for under $500, and to many, that was still considered expensive. And since then, certain characters or pieces remain desirable to focus collectors, but a wider demand among casual collectors hasn't materialized. So why aren't prototypes more popular with collectors? I think the answer comes down to availability for both Kenner and Hasbro pieces. In 2015, collectors were willing to buy whatever vintage items came up for sale, because most of the really good ones had been locked away in collections for years by that point. They were willing to spend thousands of dollars for entry-level engineering pilots, which are basically production figures with handwritten markings on their feet. And for many, the few really desirable pieces that surfaced for sale were far too expensive. And the same thing happened with modern prototypes. By the time the pandemic hit, most of the pieces collectors wanted were already secured by focus collectors in the preceding years. And collecting production figures, whether it's a set of 12 backs or ones from the 6-inch Black Series, is easier. They're more readily available. It won't take a year to find a vintage collection Dengar figure. It may simply take a few days, with minimal effort. And the same goes for Kenner 12-back figures, although they command much higher prices than the modern figures. Most collectors don't know where to look for prototypes, or how to locate them, because they're not easy to come by, even for experienced collectors. Finding them takes time. And if production figures are widely popular, and they're the ones all of us know from childhood and beyond, why wouldn't collectors want to focus solely on them instead? When it comes to an interest in prototypes, the connection may not be there, or they may be too expensive, or they may not be worth the time needed to acquire them. When I was putting together my Rebel set of the Ghost Crew, it took me five years to find prototype examples of five of the six main characters. And I can promise you, if it wasn't for the kindness of friends and for finds I stumbled upon, I wouldn't have any of them. And if I missed any of them, I don't know if I'd ever have the chance of finding another one. I've mentioned this in the past episodes, but one of the best parts about prototype collecting is that it is a hobby that requires you to network and to get to know others. It is a fascinating world to explore, but it goes far beyond the pre-production items. Meeting former employees and other collectors opens a door to relationships that become more meaningful than the prototypes themselves. And it is rewarding to learn about the pre-production process and the history of the toys through conversations and connections with those who share a similar passion for these prototypes. So, looking ahead, unless the collecting community unearths a major find in which many pieces become readily available publicly, I would expect interest in prototypes to remain where it's been for the past few years, among a smaller but passionate circle of collectors. So these were a few observations I had about Star Wars and collecting, as we begin our journey through 2023. Since we're only into the earliest weeks of the year, we don't have enough information to accurately predict where we're heading. 
but the information and behaviors from recent years will help guide us as we navigate through fresh terrain. I hope you found these questions interesting and worth considering. It's always helpful to get a fuller picture of some of the topics our Star Wars community may face this year. And through the discussions around these topics, our friends and fellow collectors often provide insight or a unique perspective that we may lack, and we learn about our hobby together. To review, will the Morphe auction be an accurate indicator of the Star Wars market for the coming months? Will any of the major Star Wars series be a letdown for fans? How will sales struggles at Hasbro affect collectors? And will 2023 be the year a larger audience embraces vintage and modern prototypes? We'll just have to wait and see. But for now, let's keep exploring the state of the franchise and of our hobby on Star Wars, Prototypes, and Production.